This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? What's up, Aaron? What's up, all my real EE pod heads out there? Um, Let's see, what is up? Uh, I'm getting into movies. Have you heard of these? No. Okay. Been watching a lot of movies. That's all I got. Into banter. You uh you were watching what were you watching yesterday that you were you were posting about? Um what was I watching yesterday? I saw Alien um on Tuesday. Yesterday I was watching the wrestling. The AEW, right. um, if you're familiar. Um <laughs> sure. Alien, as in like Alien. Is there like a reboot or No, it's the original. They had it it was in theaters. So I went to see that with a buddy. Um, yeah, I've been catching up on a lot of classics that I hadn't seen. Watched uh, the, you know, with the Clarice, Clarice and the lotion, Silence of the Lambs. Hadn't seen that. That was oh, fine. Yeah, that's right. I remember those posts. Yeah, it just seemed you know pretty overrated. Um, whoa, whoa! I mean, you know, it's all. There's been fifteen hundred carbon copies, so it sort of loses the loses the edge that I'm sure it had at the time. Yeah, it's good though. I, so I know you're anti old wrestling, but it sounds like you're not anti old movies. No, because movies aren't a simulated sporting event. Sure. Right. Well, you're the not... reason the reason I say that is there was a thing going around. I think it was from Shea Serrano, who I guess said oh, yeah, that it, it caught a lot of heat here. Yeah, said you shouldn't watch any movies that happened before like 1990 because they didn't know how to make movies yet. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. <laughs> which is like uh, you know I, of course i'm because i'm an old man now i do find myself really enjoying just anything with like film grain and anything that like looks older than me is just like absolutely just a pleasure like i don't even care what's happening just the the visual appeal of seeing things the way they used to be is like wow crazy yeah well, since we're talking old movies let's talk to a guy who knows old movies that's right it's mike spears what's up mike Hey, y'all, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. And I feel bad for our, our viewers because podcasts, of course, are a visual medium that they weren't able to see look on my face when I heard that Shay Serrano quote because that just, as a established film scholar and film archivist, I was greatly offended by that take. So that was wild. Yeah, he was like, he was like, you try to watch Jaws, but it's just bad. So, because it happened, it was made too long ago or something That's like that. Just... I, mean, I don't think it was that popular a movie. It was slightly more obscure than Jaws. I think, I, 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 was, no, I think it was Jaws. Like, I didn't read it, but I, I thought it was like a like a black and white, you know. Uh... Oh, he had a hot take that Rafifi is bad. That's what it was, Rafifi. Okay. I see. Yeah, no, I love the black and white movies. I always will pull up my Criterion channel and see what they've got going each week just because it's a service I pay money to and I feel like I need to use it. So there's a lot of good stuff there. I actually watched Hoop Dreams on there a couple weeks oh, back. Oh, great movie. Great movie. Classic. 
great document great documentary especially for its time mainly because i got an email saying that hoop dreams was coming off of criterion channel and i was like well i haven't seen hoop dreams in the last decade i'm going to take the afternoon and watch hoop dreams and get kind of depressed so okay okay here we go i got the quote pulled up okay okay we might as well get into it yeah he's being interviewed very shay here (laughs) he's being interviewed and i all i have is the screenshots i don't have the full context or anything this is what i have don't interviewer I'm not really an old movie guy, and you chose to focus only on movies from the 80s and really the 90s on. Are you like me in that you don't see a ton of appeal in movies older than that? So I guess he's out with a new book about movies. Yeah. He says, I'm with you on that. I watched old movies, and I'm like, no thanks. They're not fun. It's clear they were still trying to figure out how to do things. Some of them, of course, were undeniable, like a Jaws or Star Wars or Indiana Jones. Okay. You watch so those and you go, oh, I see in this the bones of what eventually became whatever action franchise or alien, but mostly they're just not that fun to watch. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that so much. (laughs) That's a crazy opinion for somebody that also thought they had enough to say about movies that they wrote a book. Exactly. Yeah, right. He goes on to say he was writing a chapter about heists and people kept talking about Rafifi. He says, it's in black and white. Everybody talks about how great it was. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, he talks about, you know, the the silent part. He says, that part was cool. And I imagine at the time it was really fun. But you watch it today and it's just not that great. Rafifi! Yeah, so I, he likes new movies. I did, uh, I went to see The Gemini Man. Right. Which is about, about as new a movie as you can see. Because I saw it in 120 frames per second. That just gets me sick. Like, yeah, like 12 to 14 uh, theaters in the U.S., and just absolutely one of the worst things I've ever seen. Almost became the second movie I've ever walked out of. Because like it's like a hacky sci-fi action thriller. Right. And then on top of it, it's shot in um, you know, soap opera cam where you can like literally see how fake all the extras look when they're on the sound stage because everything's shot and in super high detail. It's like, why would you like purposely expose the business like this? This is why <laughs> old movies are actually better. And the crazy thing about Gemini Man, only into old movies. Yeah, the crazy thing about Gemini Man was that this was a movie they've been trying to make for like thirty-five years, and finally Ang Lee was like, "Okay, it's time for me to make this movie because I have all this crazy technology that I learned making the uh, Troop Dallas Cowboys movie. So let's do it now." And this movie apparently is just tanking everywhere, and it's just like. Just don't get too complicated with it. We don't need to go 120 frames per second. No gamers play stuff at 120 frames per second. Like, it's imperceptible. I don't like it. All right, well, if you're looking for more hot takes about movies, make sure you're following us on Twitter, at EverythingAEW. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. You can check up on what movies Nate is watching, at Epitasis. And you can get more film scholarship, at Fujiheya. That's Fuji with two eyes, like Don Fuji. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Uh, We record these things every Thursday night. You can usually get them late Thursday night, early Friday morning, but get it as soon as it drops by subscribing. If you're on the podcast app, make sure you rate and review. Give us that five-star rating. We did again recently read a review, so we will do that if uh, it's good, but only if it's good. If you want to support the show, you can sponsor it by going to redcircle.com slash shows slash everything dash elite and clicking sponsor this podcaster. You can make a one-time donation or a monthly donation. We've already had a few of our uh, real EE pod heads 
to reach out and sponsor us. So thank you very much. All right, we're going to play a new game this week that I'm really excited about. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, you know, we said we needed to reframe things, so this is how we're doing it. We're, of course, going to run down AW Dark and AW Dynamite. We will talk about the ratings and give you a short preview of episode four. That'll be next week on the 23rd. But first, we're going to hit the ratings real quick, uh, just so everybody knows what's going on. Those just came out a little bit earlier on Thursday. AEW comes in fifth on cable, 1.014 million viewers, uh, 0.44 in the 18 to 49 demo, down about 11% from one point, uh, just over 1.1 million last week and a 0.51 in the demo. It's very confusing because if you just look at the TNT numbers, it's pretty flat. But if you add on those true TV viewers they had last week, they are down about 11%. So takes, thoughts on uh, this smaller but still uh, perceptible drop in ratings for AEW. Yeah, they were pretty steady, which is better than the alternative, uh, you know, better than losing a bunch of viewers. Um I, I did tweet that, you know, this was not like a run-of-the-mill show for them. This was a big card. They put together a lot of big matches on this show. Uh, and, and you know, it didn't bring back any of those first-week viewers. It, you know, continued to shed some people to other things. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, those are the viewers that – or those are the people, your Omegas and your Moxleys and your Jerichos and your Pox. Those are the people the promotion is built around. So, you know, it, it, you're not really giving away the whole game by putting them on your TV show. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I, I kind of think it's going to continue to level off here and we're probably going to find what our floor is relatively soon. Um, you know, we, we've always said from the beginning that the the key to this promotion success is making new fans and finding old fans and bringing them back. So, you know, uh, they're doing the they're doing what they can on that front by promoting the show and putting on good shows. So we'll just have to see if those fans exist out there to find. Yeah, this is. An interesting week because starting next week, NBA will be back. And the strongest demo for them traditionally has been the 18 to 49 males. And I mean, to the extent that they were number two on cable this year or this week on it. I mean, the only thing that they lost to, I believe, was the the East or no, the West Coast uh, NBA game. So they're doing really well in that regard. But as soon as the NBA come, starts up and it'll be on ESPN on Wednesdays, it will be something that I think that's when we'll see the true floor. You know, I mean, the people who the first three weeks have developed some sort of dedicated viewers will stick around. And then the ones after that, you know, might flip in and or off. And then I think it's been interesting now how we don't know specifically like right now what went up and what went down for the quarters of week three. But we've heard stuff like Marco Stunt was a big driver this week and we know we've known in past weeks that Riho has done pretty well with that as well so it's interesting to see for like the channel flippers who has been the kind of person to bring people in and who's someone that's scaring people away but you know as as i've said as long as they keep it above half a million they're making money and sadly that's the way the wrestling world operates is that they're going to make their money and their viability is going to exist on their ad their ad split and as long as they keep on Going above that number, I'm not saying they can drop six hundred thousand. It'd be great, but they're they're in a good place, and we'll see how bad the drop is next week when NBA is going to come and just smack everyone. 
Yeah, it's kind of disappointing in that no regular season NBA and no baseball games on Wednesday night. So neither of those. But if you look at all the shows that were on cable, the fucking mass Singer is doing crazy numbers, uh, including in the demo. They did like a 12, I think, in the demo. If you remember, I just told you AEW did a .44, so half a one, and they're doing a 12. So, so uh, big so viewership there. It was a 12 per, It was a 12 share, which is different from rating point in the demo, and that's a bigger thing for broadcast. And it was in that women's uh, or the female 18 to 49 for wedding. Oh no, I always call it wedding. The mass singer, <laughs> the mass singer, <laughs> the but, wedding singer. But yeah, no, it, it's something that completely slapped everyone. And actually. You all might have seen this. Do you know who was the most viewed professional wrestler last night? Oh, was did I call it? Was it Elias? No, it was Chicago's own Colt Cabana because he was on Chicago Fire, which drew 8 million oh. people. Okay. Oh, nice job, Colt. <laughs> Proud so of you. So I, I, I do think we're going to find the floor, but like that's fine to me in that you have the first batch of people who are willing to watch this show. You figure out who's going to stick with it. then. All this time, they're doing more promotion for the show and starting to hopefully build a real audience. They're going to be all over NBA games once NBA starts. And more people are going to be finding out about this. People are running away from NXT. So I don't think just because they're dropping now means that the viewership is doomed. They still got a good chance of turning this into something that settles in over a million viewers a week. Yeah, NXT is losing. Uh, WWE lost out on stardom. So it's all good news. Yes. NXT, just to throw this in, 30th on cable. They did 712,000, down about 9%, and a 0.2 in the demo. So uh, AEW is doubling them in about every demo and uh, crushing them, of course, in total viewers. Uh, they even dropped slightly in the 50-plus this week. So bad news for NXT. It's because some people died. <laughs> All right. Now, are you ready? For the first ever installment of the game that will soon be sweeping the nation. That's right, folks. It's Elite or Delete. Theme music. <laughs> so the idea here is uh, segments, wrestlers, whatever you want to talk about. First, we're going to start with what from this episode of Dynamite was Elite. And then after that, we'll talk about what shit we wish we could delete. So... Nate, get us started. What was elite from this episode? So my elite take for this week is that um, this show, to hammer on a theme that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, actually like put me in a good mood watching it. Like I've had a very busy couple of weeks at work and was very tired and you know uh, uh, disgruntled when I came home and put on this show and like you know followed the action and looked at Twitter. And then by the end of it, I was like, oh yeah, okay. That was uh, I had a fun show. I'm like, now I have things I can think about. I can think about topics to discuss on the podcast. Like it actually like lifted my spirits. Whereas literally, you know, a few years ago when I was watching Raw and it was three hours, I would like look at it and be like, I hope watching this show kills me. Cause that's how unpleasant it is <laughs> to sit here and watch these segments. Like maybe if I look hard enough at the television, I'll die here. Um, and that was just a total opposite uh, <laughs> phenomenon watching AEW. So uh, in that regard, uh, I, I would rate the television show Elite. My big Elite thing is something that really struck me last night. And 
we have our big first homegrown star. And it was very clear by the end of last night, by the end of the episode, who their big homegrown star is. And I know this is someone that's near and dear to all three of our hearts, but you especially, Bentley. And that's Darby Allen. Darby Allen, over the last two weeks and three weeks, if you want to include his match of the night against Shima on Dark, has been put in excellent positions to just capitalize on how singular of a wrestler he is. He is someone that's completely unlike everyone else in wrestling. He has a certain way of tapping into people that we haven't seen, at least in a major wrestling product, in a real long time on English TV. Like, there's been, like, the wrestlers that people identify with in New Japan, and I'd argue that there's some in Dragon Gate as well, but Darby Allen, and as seeing him progress and just, like, the big match Darby Allen, not only did he deliver, he was able to step to a certain thing to have one of my favorite Chris Jericho matches in a long time and probably my favorite Chris Jericho match in this promotion. And everything about this match I thought was special. I thought that JR, who had an off night, I thought he's not on my delete list, but JR had an off night. I thought JR's calls during this match, especially after the uh, gaffer tape was employed, were incredible and this is a kind of chris jericho match that i love and i kind of came out of this going okay they've made someone in two weeks which is something that wwe and other north american promotions haven't been able to do in the past decade and i think that that's like my big elite moment of this weekend was or this week was how special the darby moment felt and this might just be me extrapolating but i felt like that he became their first true homegrown grown superstar and i think he consider himself that much more than considering himself a wwe created superstar at this point yeah i want to jump on that and talk about darby for a minute uh especially because he's so important to this podcast if you're a longtime listener then you already know this and i've already given the spiel but darby was important to everything evolves that kind of that existed before everything elite and we got to see him start out as a guy who just threw himself off of high things and then he got into this feud with Zack Sabre Jr. where he's like, no, I'm going to be a real wrestler. You know, I'm going to prove that I can really go. And in Evolve, at least, he couldn't quite get there while Zack was there. You know, he was still working on it. And you would see glimpses of what Darby could do. But it wasn't really until toward the end of that Evolve run and toward the end of Everything Evolves, at least. I guess he was still around after, after we stopped. Where you really saw Darby put it all together. And, and be singular in that way that Mike is talking about, of just having a hold on you. You can go back and listen to who knows what episode, but I was really concerned about the idea of Darby in NXT, which you know kind of seemed like the only thing at that point in time. It's like, how is this guy going to succeed on that in that uh, universe, for lack of a better word? And it turns out that all you have to do is create a new universe for Darby <laughs> and, and package him in the right way. Him, yes, he's our friend. He was on our show. But him coming out to the Wicca phase music is perfect. It encapsulates who he is. It sets the tone for what you're about to see. They kept his gear how he always was. He paints his face like he always has. And the fans, as soon as he came out, there was a Darby chant in that match last night. Part of that is because Darby's done a great job. Part of that is because AEW has protected him beautifully. Now, for this point, you have to forget that they had him pinned by Sean Spears in the trios match. But Cody, he goes the distance with Cody and gets a time limit draw. They put him in with Jericho, which 
by all accounts or by all whatever, they could have had Jericho beat him in like five minutes. And it would have been hard to complain as far as like who Jericho is and who Darby is. But instead, they had Darby do great Darby stuff, like uh, fighting from underneath, looking like he was going to die, and then doing just the insane stuff with the gaffer tape. And it it made the crowd know who Darby is. If they didn't know before, they got a perfect sense of who he is, and it established him as a real player. Like, it seems to me that they mean for this guy to be on on the top level of this of the show going forward. He's a future champion. They're going to give him the belt at some point. Maybe it's in six years, but that seems they, I think they know what they have in him. And yeah, you know, you, (laughs) uh, the idea of him in NXT and how the WWE would present him and the sort of backstage promos they would do with him, uh, would just be comical, but also deeply sad. So thank God that they did create a new universe. Um, on the point of the Wicca phase entrance theme, the fans were actually singing along Darby to the beat of the theme, which does not happen in the U.S. all that often. Uh, and, and remarkably, it even was correctly in rhythm with the the song, like the tempo is correct, which is a miracle because American wrestling fans are terrible at keeping the beat and like clapping together or let you know, let alone singing together. So that was awesome. And then you know, just seeing that same character from the Darby, uh, you know, mini docs from Kenny Johnson, where he's writing champ on his car and he's getting champ champ tattooed inside of his mouth. And then he comes out here on TNT wrestling, Chris Jericho and writes champ all over his body. It's just like, this is the same guy, you know, wrestling is real. He took his character and his, uh, you know, his own personality infused into that character from the small stage. And is just doing this, the same thing on the national level, um, which is awesome to see. And they even protected him here because they didn't even give Chris Jericho a clean win in the no DQ match after he bound his hands. Like they still had to uh, have Darby get taken out by interference. So that's probably what put me in the good mood at the end of the night. Really. It was just seeing, you know, St- Darby's first coming out party where he has established himself as a star. And um, I had one other point. Oh, I just, I-, I would really like to see Chris Jericho's face when Darby proposed the uh, hands bound stuff to him like hey chris here's what we should do like i do this thing where uh, i get handcuffed behind my back and then do a bunch of insane shit i just like w- would have loved to have seen chris jericho's reaction to that when he's pitching that stuff well i can't wait to hear jericho talk about it on talk is jericho at some point i'm sure he will talk about this match put over darby huge and i will uh, immediately download that and, and give it a listen so yes i think darby would be on all of our elite list uh, my elite for the night this will be no surprise for anybody. I'm going to go with Riho as my elite. Uh, she was, I know we were tough on Britt Baker last week, so I, I don't want to go too hard on her. But she was put in there with somebody who's not as good as she is and someone that she really had to struggle with a little bit to get going. Uh, but she made the absolute best of it. She, once the match got going and she could kind of uh, do her shit, you know, it was really, she was fired up. And the crowd is just in love with Riho. The crowd is crazy about her. I mean, they were chanting for her the second she came out. They were there for her the whole time. And uh, the match was even fine because uh, I bit on, I was I was biting on Britt Baker winning by the end, which would have been uh, miserable. Uh, but Riho pulls it out. So it's just great to see, I guess it's like Darby in a way, that Riho can just come here, be who she is, and get over big time. It's a huge uh, fuck you 
to years of what WWE has done <laughs> when they've brought in people and tried to turn them into something they think appeals to the masses, when really you just have to put people out there who are genuine people and uh, the crowd will relate to them. And this is a woman who do- has not even spoken a word of English on American television and the crowd loves her anyway. So Riho is my elite pick for the week. Now let's delete some people. Mike, who are we deleting or what are we deleting? I feel bad because my delete was the person that you said we went too hard on last week, but (laughs) do it, do it. Okay. I think that that might've been the, and and I'll be alone by this. I thought that Riho did humans work, basically holding that match together and creating an, a good finish and be able to through her own charisma and her getting over i mean you're absolutely right ab it if we're talking about like homegrown stars or stars that they've created if darby now is one she's one a or vice versa considering how much of a response she's had every single time out there but Britt baker it's just one of those things that it's obviously not working with her she is someone that has had one match you know the the uh the match at Fight for the Fall with the concussion, that's an unfortunate accent. I can't bag on that. That's entirely unfair. But this was a match that really was, in a lot of ways, built up to show that she was going to be this great singles wrestler. And she just was not at the level that I'd want to see on national TV. And I think that that's embarrassing. And I think that that's something that we've kind of seen in each and every match of hers that she is not someone that is uh, at the level I feel like that should be for a major major league promotion, especially in comparison to some of the other talent that we've seen out there. When you compare her to like Hikaru Shia, when you compare her to B Priestley, when you compare her to the other women in this division, like Nyla Rose is, is more green than she is, but Nyla Rose gets her character. Her offense always looks good. And when she lost to Riho, it was a great response. She did a great job. I don't think Britt Baker does the job. And I don't know what her gimmick is other than being the dentist, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. And it just was the one thing on the show that I absolutely was just not vibing was this match. And I just feel bad that this was Rio's first offense. And I think that they had to figure out what they're going to do about Britt Baker. Because guess what? We're going to be in Britsburg next week. What's going to happen there? What, how are they going to do this? So I just, I'm certain she's a nice person. It's just not working and maybe keep her on dark or let her have matches that she gets better. Cause the big thing I'm seeing is that she's inexperienced and that's not a, that's not a slight against her. That's just reality. And when you're having major league TV, you have to have major league figures out there and they've shown before how to deal with someone. And I feel like that they need to adapt and move on from Britt Baker. Um, I, I was going to, I was going to delete dentist discourse. That was going to be my take. Okay. Well, just because you know the dentist meme has now like now you got <laughs> all right i'm going to delete wwe nxt is what i'm going to delete uh and the reason for that is bill demott when he was a trainer there in an fcw uh you know basically worked luchasaurus to the bone which resulted in uh you know putting extra and undue miles on him when he wasn't even making money or on tv and now, you know, that he has an opportunity to be on TV and make money, he's still feeling those miles and tore his hamstring. And consequently, we missed Luchasaurus on this show in what could have been really 
uh, a coming out party for him and making him a star on the national television level. Um, and that would have really, you know, a, a lot of people were also putting over Scorpio Sky in the first match on this show and saying that he had a big coming out party. So that would have been just a nice uh, 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 sequence of events for AEW, getting new people over here. Um, but even that's really a minor complaint. I had to struggle to find something on this card because I even liked the Lucha Brothers versus Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy match. So that's uh, the fact that Luchasaurus wasn't there. You know, the crowd is already invested in him, and now he's probably going to be out a number of weeks. Uh, that's that's going to be my delete. All right. I think that's fair. I agree with you that it was hard to find, like, too much that was really bad about uh, this episode. It was probably my least favorite episode, but not in like a bad way. It was just like, I, it didn't get me as fired up until the main event, which got me very fired up. Uh, but so I guess the worst thing, the thing that I liked the least was the length, the layout of the Lucha Brothers and Jungle Express match. Yeah, it was tough because they had to replace Luchasaurus with Marco Stunt kind of right at the end. And what they did in the match worked in a lot of ways. It was just that because they decided to stretch it over two segments, there was a middle part that sucked. So I think you could have done exactly what they did and compressed it into about a five-minute match in one segment and gotten it over with. Because, I mean, it's just goofy for Pentagon to not immediately kill Marco Stunt. I mean, they they made it look more like Pentagon was kind of playing with him. So that works. Uh, so... And I don't even hate this that much, but if I was going to delete something, it would be like five minutes from that match. That's all I'm saying. I actually did. So again, I watched the Fight TV stream from Italy and the the best part of that match, I think was during an ad break, which was literally just Phoenix and Pentagon taking turns manhandling Marco and like, you know, grabbing him by the torso and pulling him around like he's, you know, a, a misbehaving child in the grocery store that you're trying to corral and like taking terms doing chops on him and doing big moves on him and all that shit was very entertaining to me. So I even enjoyed that. Sure. You know, they uh, could have done it quicker. There were a lot of complaints about, Oh, Pentagon shouldn't be selling for Marco at all. You know, this should be over in two minutes. Again, I've argued for having a lot more dominant wins. I did the same thing when uh, Darby and Jimmy Havoc wrestled the other week. And when Sean Spears and John Moxley wrestled the other week, but in this case, I really did. Dar uh, Pentagon and Phoenix did a great job, as did LAX in their squash match on this show, kind of taking a leisurely pace to it, but presenting themselves as though, hey, I'm just going to have fun kicking the shit out of this guy for a while. And then, you know, you gave uh, Marco a couple of hope spots. And uh, apparently a lot of people that weren't familiar with him really took to those. So I, I can't complain about that too much personally. Yeah, it was cool in a way. Just the way that seeing how people reacted to Marco and seeing how these new people, these new fans, I assume, who, you know, a lot of people I said, like, I'm done with Marco. Like, I've seen him once or twice. I'm done with this. But it seems to be that he has a mass market appeal. So why not? I mean, I, for a while I've said the biggest determinant on heel and face in AEW isn't if you're heel or face. It's if you're over or are you not over. And Marco's over. And he was really good. And getting the crap beat out of him by Penta and Phoenix. And they built in a good way of like, they beat him up, beat him up, but you get a hope tag in and then jungle boy would come in and would have a little bit, but eventually they cut him off or he gas out. But yeah, I, if there was something that I would like to see them cut time and move, like this would have been 
the thing where you like lop off the five minutes in the middle and then give the extra five minutes to the uh, Pac Moxley versus Page and Omega match. If I was going to play Booker and I got to have the board and the cards and saying who goes where, I, that's what I've done. So I completely understand where it's coming from, maybe. I also do want to shout out that I thought Marco and Jungle Boy, I don't know that they've tagged previously. Jungle Boy usually tags with Luchasaurus, but they had some quick double team spots that looked really cool. Jungle Boy, you know, tossing them around into spinning DDTs and stuff. I was like, oh, I'm so, they put those together quick. Yeah, they were a fun team. I don't, have, I don't have too much to complain about it. All right, let's talk about Dark. So episode two of Dark uh, came out this week. I guess the first thing I just want to say is I really like Dark. Like, it, it's not appointment viewing. And I look on my phone and scroll Twitter a lot while it's on. But it's fun. It's like by Tuesday, I'm ready for Dynamite. I'm like, okay, time for this show. Let's get it going. This kind of feels like the undercard to Dynamite for me. And lets me get back like, okay, it just whets my appetite a little bit before Dynamite. And you get a few cool things on it. Uh, you know, this week you had the cool little conversation between Cody and Aubrey Edwards that I really enjoyed. Uh, there were some cool bumps in the Omega Janela match. You see some people that you don't see on TV every week. I just think it's a cool idea and I like it. I, I feel like less people were watching this week, but I still think it's fun. I didn't watch it. I don't really have any takes, but uh, I will. Brian Alvarez's big complaint was that they didn't recap this or shout these matches out on the television, which kind of seems valid to me, especially if you're if you're Kenny Omega and Joey Janelle and you went out and had a, you know, probably a pretty good to great hardcore match. And then in, like you watch the TV and the people that didn't watch it literally have no idea it ever happened because it wasn't mentioned and it wasn't recapped or anything like I understand that complaint. Like if wins and losses are going to matter, people are going to get confused when people show up with new phantom wins and loss numbers and they're ne it's never addressed. Yeah, that's fair. Your last point I agree with. They do count because I was going to say, yeah, but they're dark matches. So they shouldn't, they shouldn't reference them on the TV, but they count them in the records. So I guess they probably should reference them. So maybe that is weird. I always like enjoy this kind of TV. I it reminds me of the old uh, syndicated television shows that they would have for WCW and WWF, and it just has a different vibe to it. It was a little bit more laid back, which I liked a whole lot. I liked the idea that they were that they had like this backstage segment with Tony Tony Schiavone talking to the Bucks, and it and they're like, "Oh, Kenny's off," and then Kenny comes in here and books his match. I thought that was pretty fun. I just like the overall vibe. We got to see people like. I think this is like the perfect show for like Sonny Kiss until he has a storyline or an angle or a few built in. And I thought he was great. I never thought I would see Shima and, and Helico in the ring and actually Shima making Helico look pretty good. So I was down with that. And I mean, it was a crazy a hardcore match. Like I'm not necessarily a Kenny Omega hardcore person, but there was some crazy stuff going on in this match. And at the end of the hour, hour 15, I was like, okay. This is pretty good. And then there was this great human interest piece between Cody and Aubrey Edwards. It's just a good time. And it it's like your pre-show. Like, as you said, AB, it's just a good time. And I enjoyed the, I, I enjoy my Tuesday evening watching this. I will also, it, it's sort of structurally or it's, it, it's very smart that you're not overexposing people by putting them on television every week. But if you're a big Cody fan and you go out to the television show and Cody doesn't wrestle, you're probably a little bummed. So, you know, maybe he's in a dark match and that certainly eases the pain, but it doesn't overexpose him on TNT. And also when you have a television show like this, that ends with the heels on top. 
and you know Hager running in and Jericho getting the win and people disappointed, you still get you know two or three real matches with stakes theoretically. So you know uh, there's something sort of to ease the pain there, and you're getting uh, probably more fun than just that downer of an ending. So uh, that stuff all seems like well situated to me. Let's run down the results real quick. Uh, before the show, Kip Sabian defeated Sonny Kiss and Peter Avalon. Uh, Sabian pinned Avalon, I think is what Mike was getting across to me in these notes here. In the post show, uh, we had the Dark Order and Hybrid 2 defeated SCU and Shima. Uh, Jack Evans got the pin on Scorpio Sky. So that's interesting to me because it feels like Sky is getting a big push and he got the pinfall on Dynamite, but he's taking a uh, taking a fall from Jack Evans on the dark match. It's like you don't want to pin Kazarian or Daniels going in because we were under the pr- impression at the time it was taped and when it aired that they would be in the tag tournament, but they actually weren't. Right. You might as well just go ahead and pin Daniels if you know that's what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. And it also makes me wonder a little bit if something was up with Daniels that they were totally okay with pinning Scorpio last week when they taped this and then something happened and they had to take him out so now sky's in there and it's just like okay what are we going to do now well we're gonna make sky look amazing at on tv and go with that but yeah this was a interesting match this was the first appearance of any type of the dark order on tv or on just their programming and it's just interesting to see how the dark order is presented as a gimmick and as they are in the ring i i find that kind of uh I think it's uh, it's kind of discordant is the word I'll say between how they are and how they are supposed to be pushed. Well, they're keeping them completely off TV until their first match next week. So we'll, we'll see how the crowd reacts. Uh, the the last match we talked about, Kenny Omega defeated Joey Janela with a chair-assisted V-trigger. Uh, a fine match. There's a lot of, well, not a lot, but there's a, 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 a relative amount of discourse for like a totally fine match. But there were some fun bumps if you like this kind of match. Again, managing expectations. Right. It's because the Jacksons went on Twitter and were like, this is the fucking craziest match ever. So then you're just begging people to say otherwise. Okay, now it's time for, you got some BTE quick hits for us, Nate? Yeah, so here's what happened on BTE. Um, we had Kenny confronting Rick Knox over not disqualifying John Moxley. So this goes back like two weeks now. Um, and Knox says, oh, I've been hearing so many complaints about you know being too strict that I let it ride. You know, nobody wants to see the main event of the first show end in disqualification. Kind of a funny retcon because, you know, he was doing the bit on BTE where he was doing, you know, all the uh, the strict refereeing backstage. So it actually kind of makes sense there. Uh, Chuck gave Trent some matching gear for the Philadelphia show. Um, Spears and Tully Blanchard were backstage and got ag- aggravated by the smell of some smoke, which was revealed to be Joey Janela. Uh, he walked out and dropped his SIG into Tully's Pepsi so that got totally pissed, and he went after uh, 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 Janela for a second, but uh, Sean Spears stopped him. Uh, Sean Spears seemed kind of uh, amused or fired up by totally being mad at Joey, so we'll probably see something heading in that direction. Uh, the BT mailbag was genuinely funny because it was the best friends just fucking up over and over again, and it was edited together well, so check that out if you uh, haven't, I guess. And <laughs> if that appeals to you at all, you've probably already seen it, I suppose. Um, and then Paige comes in, he gets mad at the Bucks because uh, in that first show brawl, he was off fighting Jake Hager's sturdy ass. Uh, this makes Matt Jackson corpse big time. He cannot stop smiling or suppressing <laughs> laughter for the rest of the segment. Um, but finally asks Paige, you know, hey, are you angry with us? Or are you angry with yourself? 
So still a little friction there. Um, and then, you know, the Jacksons and Kenny end up getting back on the same page. So his, I guess, meltdown little period is over. Okay, time to run down just the results from this week of TV. And if you guys have any uh, comments, feel free to chime in. We started, of course, with the first round tag team tournament matchup. SCU defeated the best friends. As we talked about, the show starts with Lucha Brothers coming out and attacking uh, Daniels and Kazarian as they're coming to the ring. So the idea, what we understood was that Daniels and Kazarian were going to represent SCU in this tournament. Lucha Brothers come out, attack, and they uh, Pentagon package pile drives Daniels on the ramp. And Phoenix is kind of holding on to Kazarian for a long time. And then uh, finally Scorpio comes out and breaks it up. And uh, hilariously, Scorpio asks Rick Knox if he can take Daniels' spot. Just thought that was interesting. And uh, so then it was Scorpio and Kazarian in the match. Uh, Scorpio pinned Trent after they did their their powerbomb backstabber combo, but they botched it, and it ended up being more of a, uh, a dropkick to the head. And, uh, yeah, Lucha Bros right in at the beginning, so we're continuing the Lucha Bros SCU issue. Yeah, really, this was noteworthy because Scorpio Sky lost a shoe because um, <laughs> he was, like, in his normal shoes or something and because he was not in his gear because he was not expecting to wrestle was the whole uh, gimmick here. Uh, and then at another point, he took off his other shoe and threw it toward the entranceway. And, you know, this is just sort of the unique, like, freewheeling, like, authentic-seeming fun thing that happens in pro wrestling that doesn't happen in super controlled corporate environments like the WWE. It's like, Oh wow. That seems like it developed naturally and the crowd got into it and the performer ran with it. And, you know, he went up on the stage after it and like did a spin move while he was picking up his shoe and people went fucking insane for it again. So a uh, great little shine thing for him. And, you know, we'll, we'll remember this because you know there was a funny shoe thing that happened in it. Yeah, this was a blast. I thought that, it was interesting seeing how they worked this out. Like I felt that Excalibur did a great job. He's been the VP of their TV comment commentary team, as we were going to kind of expect, and especially this week, but he saved the, uh, the finish. He basically, he was like, Oh, and it was a great modified drop kick power bomb. And then the one thing I'll say is we all knew it was a botch. You don't need to show in the replay like that. Just is, that's just cutting yourself off at knees. But yeah, this was a lot of fun. I thought that it was kind of entertaining that like Chuck noticed that Sky's shoe was gone. He decided to bite his feet for heat. So I thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, this was a fun match. And we had our first appearance of local talent on Dynamite. We got Santana and Ortiz defeating John Silver and Alex Reynolds. Ortiz pinned Silver after the street sweeper. After this match, we get a Jericho video promo. And he is challenging the Young Bucks to wrestle Santana and Ortiz at full gear. So we're getting that match set up, you know, several weeks in advance. Yeah, uh, good to put your big star on TV. Uh, you know, there's a little cameo in the first hour to remind people that there's a big star on this show. And also remind people that he's affiliated with uh, Santana and Ortiz. Just, you know, makes sense. Totally. And I thought that was pretty great how they portrayed Santana and Ortiz. They were pretty much no bullshit, beat the crap out of the Beaver Boys, got the win. And then I like the fact that both of them were talking, uh, were shouting at the crowd so audibly louder in Chris Jericho's promo that you could hear them. And it just was, I think that's kind of like a nice touch with them. I thought that that was kind of funny. I know some people hated it. I, I was amused by it. I think they should, whenever there's a Jericho promo, they should just be talking trash in the background the entire time. 
and I'm stoked for the match. And this that match that they started at all out should be a lot of fun. Then we got a, a promo video with Cody. This is basically like the old road twos. I guess we're probably not getting those anymore. They're just putting those right on TV, which I enjoy. And it's basically about his drive to win the title and how he's kind of checked out of things at home because he's just focused on winning the title. But he also has these other AEW responsibilities. So I'm not sure if that's going to be uh, part of the story as he presumably loses to Jericho. But we'll kind of see how that plays out. My favorite parts of this video, Cody benching 405 pounds. Got to know how many reps he did. And squatting 495. I mean, Cody's a big dude, but I don't know if he's that big. Uh, so shout out to Ferrante. I want to hear your takes on the weight that Cody is lifting. Hashtag Ferrante Friday. <laughs> That's right. I'm just glad that they took the best part of their programming to lead up and added it on here. I thought it was neat that we had this whole entire thing about Cody without Cody saying a single word. And of course, like the kind of overwrought de- depredation, Kate Tank. Depredation. You know what deprivation. I'm saying. That's it. Yeah. The deprivation tank. So I thought that was really cool. And I I just think like this is some of the best stuff they do is this character uh, interest beasts. So I'm glad that they did it. We've talked at length about this match already, but Riho retained the Women's World Championship. She defeated Britt Baker when she rolled her up after reversing the lockjaw. A great moment in this match was seeing Riho just refuse to open her mouth to let Britt uh, get her fingers in for the, the mandible claw type move. Uh, so this was a fun match. Yeah, and also also worked into the finish because while Britt was doing that, Riho did her roll-up. Um, I like that her work has been consistent with her size. Like she keeps doing those stomps because that's the full weight of her body. And she keeps rolling people up and doing flash pins and flash escapes. Um, they've been good about that, you know, because she's doing that. Uh, Darby always works to his size because he just takes a shitload of punishment and uses the you know, momentum from his uh, his movements around the ring to his advantage. And again, like even Marco Stone was working to his size here because he was being used as a torpedo by Jungle Boy. So, but, you know, all those all those undersized acts are really kind of working right now. So what's interesting about that, an, another friend was texting me last night. It's like, I feel like Riho's not laying in her, like her forearms at this point, which is something that, you know, Joshi is generally known for. It's just kind of like the stiff strikes. And I think she has in the past. Something that made me wonder, like after Britt has kind of gotten the shit beaten out of her by B Priestley twice, I wonder if Riho is being a little gentle with her. Uh, but I would like to see her. I agree with you, Nate, but I would like to see her hit a little harder. Yeah, uh, they didn't jump out of me because in her Nyla match, her forearm jumped out as me as, oh, yeah, she's laying those in. And, and here I didn't make that comment. So I know what you mean. But yeah, uh, you know, again, Britt was also working with a black eye here. So uh, would totally compute. All right, and the uh, next match in the tag team tournament's first round was the Lucha Bros defeating uh, Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy, and Marco. Pentagon pinned Marco's stunt after the package pile driver double stop move that they do that probably has a name, but I don't know it. I think it's called Sierra Miedo. Yeah, well, that would track for sure. Yeah. Uh, I have a question that I want to ask you all about this aftermath here. So we know now that Luchasaurus has a torn hammy. And at least in Lucha Underground, it always was portrayed that the arm breaker from Pentagon was like, you're out for the remainder of the season. Or in theory, like if you get your arm broken at the beginning of the season, you might come back towards the end, but you're out of commission here. So do you think that they're going to have Jungle Boy go solo for a bit? Like, do you feel like that this was kind of like blowing off this because 
a hammy is going to take a long time to heal, even if it's a partial tear. And if they keep up the kayfabe of the arm break, I'm just wondering, is this going to be it for the Jurassic Express until Luchasaurus comes back? I was just wondering what your what y'all's thoughts was on that. I'm guessing they're just going to put him with Marco and, and have Marco sub in for Luchasaurus. But since they're out of the tournament, you know, uh, I don't know that they're going to get a big important program in the near future anyway. It might just be plugging a new guy into a dark match or something. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I remember like from the first week, the Bucks got the shit beat out of them and they showed up week two, no worse for the wear. So I don't know if they're really on that path, the same path as like Lucha Underground was doing, but we'll see. Could be interesting. With the winners here and the angle in the first match, building off the confrontation on last week's TV, feels more like a SCU versus Lucha Brothers final, which was not one of my anticipated finals at the beginning, but that seems to be the program they're building. So, Yeah, I... I what really struck me after this match and they showed the the bracket on the screen was like, oh, this could go any of these ways at this point. It's completely open. And all the people that I thought would win have already been eliminated. <laughs> so uh, kind of it's fascinating. It'll be fun to watch. Let's rocket ship private party. I'm, I'm, I'm staying on my pick until I'm proven otherwise. SEU can interfere because they took out one of their members. They could come out and cost them the loss here and make since here, Eve, and then you'd have like another secondary tag team feud going on right now. Then you'd have, I guess, Private Party versus uh, Dark Order in the final, which that would be an interesting final. But hey, it could work. In our semi-main event, we got Hangman Page and Kenny Omega defeating Pack and John Moxley. Page pinned Pack after hitting him with the dead eye. Now, at this point, Pack was on his own because. Kenny and Moxley started decided to make this a weapons match. Kenny had his his uh, barbed wire room, and uh, Moxley had the bat wrapped in barbed wire. And Pack comes in and says, "Hey, you know, quit this shit because you're gonna get us disqualified. I want to win. Wins and losses matter in this company." And Moxley said, literally, "Fuck you!" Kicked him in the stomach, gave him the dirty deeds or the paradigm shift, and uh, just peaced out. He was gone. So. Interesting way to get Paige a win in the promotion, which he needs, and to give Pack a loss in a way that uh, still protects him. Yeah, this uh, the finish here and the sort of machinations of uh, these four top guys interplaying with each other was almost my elite pick of the week. Um, like you said, it it gave Pack a loss, which he needed if they're going to keep him away from the title for a little bit here. Um, but, you know, obviously didn't bury him because he basically got beat up by three guys by the end of the match um, and had two guys on him at the time of the pinning, maybe even. Um, the And you also get great character work out of him because and out of uh, uh, John Moxley because, you know, Moxley just wants to beat the shit out of Omega. He's got his hardcore weapon. He's in Philadelphia. He wants to hit him with it. <laughs> but Pac is, you know, obsessed with winning and being the best and not taking losses. So he doesn't want to get disqualified. So that leads to the confrontation there. Um, that obsession with his win-loss record is what ultimately causes him to lose the match, which is a little bit of dramatic irony, I guess. So, you know, just that's the kind of in-match story that you don't see in other wrestling promotions. And having, you know, four of your top guys in a tag that builds multiple programs at the same time uh, and, you know, the crowd reacts to them the way you want to is also something you don't see in other wrestling promotions. So this was like a success at every, you know, uh, uh, conceivable 
perception of it. Um, you know, it wasn't like super hot, you know, it wasn't like a match of the year, but established and advanced everything you wanted to do with it. Yeah, this was just a fun sprint superstars match. Like this was it was getting to the point of the night that we were going to see, okay, how long are they going to give Jericho and Allen? Like we assumed that was going to be with TV time remaining for the main event, but they had themselves just a really just kind of fun sprint. Like the first part of it was them trying to figure out, okay, Paige and Omega don't team a lot. So how is their chemistry? And then of course, Pac and Moxley don't team a lot either. So we'll see like that. The thing that I wanted to talk about, and you think I'd be talking about Pac's loss was they did the smart thing of having the inset Moxley promo. They needed to, they haven't really had a promo from him this entire time on TV. And arguably that's his best strength is his promo ability. So they got him in the empty arena before it started. And I thought that was really cool. And then, yeah, I think it's cool now that we see how wins and losses are going to become a determinant for things. And Cody's talked about doing his BCS style rankings before full gear, which will be ridiculous. Cody, you should let us have a ballot to go in here for the BCS rankings. I feel like we'd have a great one. I hope you're okay with me somehow arguing that a one in four Shima should be ranked fifth. <laughs> But <laughs> it makes sense, like how this booked here, and and I walked out, and I was like, okay, yeah, this was Pack's second loss in 24 months, but it made perfect sense. His loss was because he was he covets his win and loss record so much. Moxley, one was losing it because he couldn't hit him with a barbed wire bat, but two, there's a part of Moxley that probably knew this is what this asshole cares about. So fuck him, I'm out of here. I'm already have my match established for full gear. Nothing changes for me. And I thought this was a very well and smartly done upper card match. I think that's a great idea. If they're going to do BCS rankings, we should totally get a ballot for that. They can even just put our podcast name on whatever ballot they want and pretend that we're like media voters. Because, hey, the you know BCS is based on media polls. Tremendous idea. And they stole our idea of doing an official AEW podcast, and they're doing it with Brandy. Like, what the heck? What does Brandy have that we don't? I don't get it. So as as compensation, Cody, we should totally get a ballot. Come on. And anyone who listens to that podcast will be considered to have betrayed the Everything Elite podcast, just to be clear. What if I listen to it? Main event. <laughs> We've talked about this one at length, too, but Chris Jericho defeated Darby Allen with the walls of Jericho after Jake Hager interferes, knocks Darby off the top rope. Um, I like the interference. I love that it protects Darby, but I don't like Darby tapping out. Why can't he just fall off the top rope and, and take a Judas effect. That would have been better. IMO. Yeah. Um, that's fine. I, I totally understand that. It's like, you know, this wasn't Sabu tapping out to John Cena, but it does seem like Darby's character should be somebody averse to giving up. Um, we didn't actually get the visual of it tapping out. You know, you could sort of justify to yourself, Hey, you know, the ref called it cause he couldn't, you know, <laughs> operate his arms. Um, but another thing I liked about this, you know, the finish is kind of a fuck finish. You have an interference that leads directly to the finish. And that's, you know, kind of uh, the antithesis of, of a sports-based uh, wrestling promotion. Of course, this is this is going to be pro wrestling. This is not going to be, you know, all Japan. This is going to be American pro wrestling. So we'll just have to accept that. Um, but they still kind of redeemed the segment before the end of TV time because they had the rest of the inner circle come out with their bubbly and do a bubbly celebration in the ring, which is just like, it's a great detail that advances 
the group. Um, you know, it, it gets Jericho's little bubbly gimmick a little bit over. And it's just like a fun thing to be like, okay, I can't even be mad that Jake Hager came out and did that because they're literally spraying champagne on each other in the ring. That's just fun. That's a great closing shot for your television show, I think. And I want to see it going forward. Like I tweeted, I want to see Jericho do a bubbly celebration after every defense. I actually completely like Jericho having Hager as his backup here because he's such a pompous asshole that he doesn't want any chances. And he has these guys here to make sure that he doesn't lose. So it fits completely in his character that he's completely insane and all for himself, but he has to have backup. So I was totally okay with that, but I'm with you, Nate, the, the champagne celebration has become a, a Jericho trope from now on. And I just want to see it each time that they, he makes the defense. Like I hope that they have like a ridiculous champagne celebration in Baltimore. I forgot to mention earlier, Darby got a big uh, dead spin article today, uh, not by friend of the show, David Bixon's fan, but by some other uh, dead spin writer. So would love to see Darby kind of escape into the mainstream here. It would be very fun to, to see him become kind of a, uh, a folk hero from AEW. Okay. The dark episode three tapings, uh, you're going to have Taz on commentary. So get excited for that. And the matches are, Joey Janela versus Brandon Cutler. Janela now uh, three weeks in a row has not been on television and isn't advertised for next week. So we don't know when he's going to show up on television. Uh, Nyla Rose takes on Leva Bates and Cody, Dustin Rhodes, and the Young Bucks take on Stronghearts, Shima and T-Hawk, and Private Party. I guess I should, if you, in case you don't know, Shima and T-Hawk are part of Stronghearts. That's not uh, several different people there. No, no, yeah. And... Yeah, T Hawks was in Philadelphia. That's was something, but yeah, this I'm really stoked for this. Uh, apparently, Janela said something somewhere that he wanted to get himself into even better shape before he went on TV. So maybe that could be part of it. And I mean, this is the first match that Janela's done recently that has not been a hardcore match. So that's also something to note too. I think this is going to be a really interesting episode. Taz on TV. Uh, we'll see. That'll be interesting. Janela looked better on Dark last week. Like, I thought he looked like he was in better shape. So, yeah, I, I could buy that, that he's working on that. But it's also smart to, like, if they want to have him more toward the top of the card in this promotion, I don't know whether they do, but it's smart to introduce him later uh, and wait until you got some other things playing out because there's a lot going on with the the main, like, six guys already. So wait it out and let you know. He's drawing a paycheck. So, you know, wait it out and let him come in uh, when they're ready for him. And he's going to come in with uh, with a win over Brandon Keller on his record. And um, that's, you know, by speculation and no losses because his other matches have been in um, unsanctioned matches. So they haven't counted that's on his right. record. So, you know, assuming Brandon Keller is going to be a jobber here, then they're going to be like, oh, here's Joey Janela. He's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. He, did he win that six man? No, he lost. He's like one and one. So and then you can, you know, focus on him and, and start giving him a story. All right, here's what we're looking at for episode four of Dynamite. That's October 23rd in Pittsburgh. It's going to have the semifinals of the tag team tournament. SCU taking on Dark Order. Lucha Brothers taking on Private Party. We've kind of talked already about what we think about that. Uh, Britt Baker is going to be in action. Looking at the brilliant schedule that I put together last week and talked about for the most perfect amount of time, I think B should be on this show, B Priestley that is, because she works 1020 in Japan, but on Stardom's 1027 show, she's not on that card. So I would expect 
that she will be in Pittsburgh. So it could be a Britt Baker versus B Priestley match here. We're also going to have the Young Bucks in action. We don't know who they're going to face. And it looks like the main event is going to be Pack versus John Moxley. So a, a big main event for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm interested to see if they have a clean win or loss there because Moxley's got a big match on a pay-per-view coming up, obviously, but Pack's been very well protected. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they do that, especially with Moxley always interjecting in Omega's matches. Now you have, will it be a, what's fair for the goose is fair for the gander. And then, you know, I'm interested to see what the, what the Bucks will do since we've now seen that they will have local talent in for squash matches. Just knowing like the wrestling in that area and the wrestling in just the Northeast, there's a lot of interesting tag teams that could be bringing in here if it's not anyone on the roster. So I think this is going to be an interesting show. So I'm stoked to see how it is. I know that it, it is the first show that's not a foreseeable sellout unless something happens over the next few days. So let's see what's going on here. And we should probably get like more of the full gear schedule going forward. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Although I think the report was there were quite a few empty seats uh, Wednesday night, this episode in uh, Philadelphia, and yeah. you couldn't tell that on TV. So they did a good job with that. So I expect they'll do a good job in Pittsburgh and making it look good on TV. Yeah, they, they said that they released some production kills that must not have gotten picked up. I don't know how the secondary market was looking for that. So, I mean, there's a lot of things like that. Their camera work's been good about protecting empty seats. So not too worried about that. All right, a few other notes before we get out of here for this week. On October 19, so that is Saturday. Is that right? Mm -hmm. AAA Heroes Immortales 13 at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard. I assume that's Eastern Daylight Time, not Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, I don't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be uh, Phoenix defending the AAA Mega Championship against Kenny Omega. So this will be fascinating. And uh, they didn't mention it at all on... AEW. I know that there was some speculation about that. Not mentioned. Uh, we'll see if it's mentioned in the future. Yeah, this was the match set up at uh, Triple Mania when they had the run back of the main event from uh, Fighter Fest before they went unsanctioned. So the main event, uh, it will be on Twitch. I will probably be live tweeting it and make sure that it's available there. If you're just going to kind of want to watch this, it'll probably be on close to midnight, 1130 to midnight eastern daylight time bentley daylight time so i'll make sure to do that but it looks like it's gonna be a fun card and it's weird that they haven't really built this at all considering how AAA has kind of been one of their primary partners but we'll see presume they're not mentioning it because kenny's gonna lose and they don't feel the need to draw people's attention to that if they don't have to one other thing just because we have the extra time i guess i'll bring it up uh, it was announced late last night, early this morning, that Bushy Road bought Stardom. I know we've talked about Stardom a little bit on this podcast. The the relevance to this show is more, A, how's it going to affect Riho and B. Priestley going forward? Uh, uh, Bushy Road made it clear that they are going to sign as many of the women as possible to full-time contracts. So I'm not sure how that's going to affect their freelancing in the United States, although it doesn't seem like it's going to be a problem. Stardom is basically still going to be run by Rossi Ogawa and pretty much have the same stuff it's always been doing. It's just that they're going to have uh, much deeper pockets and uh, some new things that hopefully they'll be goosing the business a little more. Uh, But we don't know how it's going to affect Riho and B or any future talent as far as, you know, we've talked about on this podcast, the 
kind of coldness between uh, New Japan and AEW. And if you don't know, Bushi Road owns New Japan. So will there be a coldness as far as women go from trying to use stardom women in AEW? That's something that will remain to be seen. I think this really increases the contacts between Bushi Road and AEW. That's the immediate practical effect. Um, and New Japan is not, you know, they don't seem to have an interest in a working relationship, but they've used Jericho since he's been at AEW. They've used Moxley since he's been at AEW. Um, and now, of course, they're going to have Riho and B, who, you know, uh, I think, well, yeah, have inked contracts with AEW. So there's, you know, and have been, I think, uh, B is a stardom talent uh, in Japan and Riho is a freelancer, I think, but primarily in stardom. So you've just got all those contacts. It just seems, I think, more likely to bring those entities closer together. Again, of course, this is Bushi Road and not the New Japan office directly. So it'll be different people, presumably helming the ship. But that you know, again, it's none, none of those Bushi Road companies are benefiting from working with Ring of Honor, whereas probably both the Bushi Road companies and AEW would all benefit from working together. So. We'll see if uh, you know they ever get out of their own way on that. Yeah, uh, it. I think that if we're going to talk about Bushi Road in general, and I think we have to keep Stardom and New Japan separate because it's been very clear that Stardom basically is being absorbed into Bushi Road and has been put in a completely different division than New Japan. So it just seems like that it might be a thing that. AEW is going to be totally cool with working with Stardom and Ogawa because they already have this relationship with B and Riho, but it might still be cold with Gato and Howard May if Howard May is still a member of the New Japan office at that time. But Harold. I think that, Harold? I th- did I say Howard? Yeah. I did. Oh, I was thinking, <laughs> about, I was thinking about the former like head of Nintendo of America, Howard it's, Phillips. That's Nate's best bud. I just didn't want to let that... Uh... Let that go forward. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's been a long week, but uh, it, it's going to be interesting, though, because from a pure competitive basis, it's going to be great for Japan because this gives stardom more resources and it allows them to pay their women better and have more people under full time contract. But it, I think that there's the natural relationship now between stardom and AEW, and I think that's something that will be interesting to see also with now Hikaru Shida finishing up in Japan and moving over. Maybe there's an opportunity for Shida to go back and go back as AEW affiliated and stardom versus her freelancer stuff. So I think that's something also worth talking about. And then also talking about they've had this relationship with DDT. And now that stardom is a part of Bushi Road and New Japan is not good with DDT right now, how does that change things in the future? Are we going to see ever see Yuka Sakazaki over any of the other Tokyo Joshi Pro women or DTV or people from the DT roster now, because now there's this kind of weird just relationship now going on between all these companies. And yet again, we need to re-update our giant spider web map of company affiliations going forward. So it's interesting. Uh, the one last thing I say is when things were kind of going down and this kind of became a rumor, the more I thought back, the more I was like, oh yeah, no, this is happening. This is making total sense. So it, it's a cool thing to happen, and it's kind of cool to see. And as someone who's just a recent Stardom fan, I can think of mostly positives and very few negatives going forward. 
Yeah, and again, it's a firewall against uh, the WWE coming in there with NXT Japan. So that's a that's a win. If it had to go to you know another corporate entity, then better better Kidani than uh, Vince. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the DDT aspect. We haven't seen Sakazaki in AW in some time. Um, she is. I was spending some time on the roster page today, and Yuka Sakazaki is listed on there. No other Tokyo Joshi Pro talents are listed on there. Uh, you know, like Shoko Nakajima, who was on Five for the Fallen. So I assume she's going to be back at some point. Uh, but yeah, I don't know how this will affect everything. So it's just something to keep in mind, and it'll provide some much-needed context, probably as we see future things happening with this women's division. I don't want to do it this week because, you know, we filled a pretty good amount of time. But I, I, I want to talk more about this women's division. It, it's kind of interesting. It's not as uh, deep as I kind of thought as I was going down through the roster today. And uh, I'm interested to see where they go after, you know, after Riho. I was, you know, after I look back on it, I thought it made a lot of sense to go with Riho instead of Nyla Rose because you almost don't. So Nyla Rose has to lose so that Riho can be the champion. But then you don't have to have Nyla as champion and then have her dethroned like have this monster who gets beaten kind of early in her run or whatever she gets beaten. Now you can kind of build her up and uh, later, you know, you can have her beaten by, by somebody else, but I'm just interested to see where they go from here and if they're going to have the depth necessary to make this a compelling division, but we can get into that on a later episode. Yeah. I'll just shout out. Cause I came to mind uh, that a uh, friend of the show, Akil pointed out earlier that we had that showdown with awesome Kong and Aja Kong and nothing's come of that. I haven't seen Aja Kong back yet either. So still some pieces in motion. Again, there's a lot of people that have not hit TNT yet. So uh, there's still people to be introduced and, and you know, presumably programs to be set up. Let me ask you this, Nate, before we get out of here. You mentioned on Twitter that maybe there was something um, with – now I'm now I'm losing the point that you made and that I was trying to make here. But something about the SCU – thing about yeah Scorpio replacing Daniels right well just because they did a lot of groundwork talking about which two members of SCU are going to be in this tournament they you know spent multiple BTE segments on that and then came to the decision that it would be Daniels and Kaz uh, and then that immediately got subverted by plugging Scorpio in there even though it also kind of seemed like hey maybe Scorpio you know would be the singles uh, competitor out of that unit so I'm just wondering if that's is this a case where they just you know you know maybe Daniels was uh, you know not feeling 100 percent and they wanted to have the young guys in there or um, you know is that building to some sort of storyline there where there's uh, more friction because of maybe which two get the tag titles I don't know um, just my my question mark going forward in the tag division is is that meaningful or is that a, a red herring? Right, well, I thought that was interesting, so I just wanted to tease out your thoughts on that so we can see where it goes. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we get out of here? No. I got nothing. I think this was... I enjoyed playing Elite or Delete and let us know if this is something you want us to kind of continue as we go forward. I think we're, we're, we've are we kind of found our legs as our format with TV going on. But if you have feedback, please let us know. If you can do a jingle, if you got a great TV television jingle for a leader delete hit us up with it uh and i'll volunteer mike to do more work editing that in there yeah and if and uh if we chose it we would happily pay you for it so or at least i will you mm -hmm. can't speak for these two 
close, but uh, I would pay you for it. Wow, putting words in my mouth. Okay. <laughs> All right, make sure you follow us on Twitter at everything AEW. You can find me at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji Heya. Subscribe to the podcast. You can search Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice or find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. If you're on the podcast app on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a review. And if you want to support the show, go to redcircle.com slash show slash everything dash elite. Click sponsor this podcaster and you can make a one-time or monthly donation. I think that's it. So for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week.